everyone, my name is Erica. I am our Graham Student Ministry Pastor and I'm one of our teaching pastors here on staff. I've actually been on staff here at Rainier View since 2015. Um, like first as a lowly little intern, then as a part-time student ministry pastor, then full-time student ministry pastor. Uh, then we added teaching team member onto it. So I get to preach here in our adult services every like six to eight weeks. I don't know, it never follows a consistent schedule. Uh, and, then, and then they were like, oh, we're also gonna make you the Graham Campus Associate Pastor. Now, I do not tell you all of this to A, brag that I do have the biggest business card out of everyone here on staff. This is a lot of titles. Uh, but actually, I tell you all of this, not so you're impressed with me, but so you can hear when I say, I've walked with Rainier View through a lot of stuff and a lot of seasons, and I've been part of our staff through some incredible moments and some difficult moments and everything in between, and I have been so grateful to be on staff here. But in 2018, everything got like a little crazy. In like a six month window, we hired four new staff members who fundamentally like changed how I did my job. Like there were people that I worked very, very closely with. And one of those people was Jeff Jamba, who was our Graham campus pastor. And at the time he was hired on as the next gen pastor. So he oversaw kids ministry and student ministry, then moved into his Graham campus pastor role. But here's what that means. Lucky Jeff has been my boss since 2018. And you can confirm with him if he feels like it's lucky or not. I'm putting words in his mouth in this moment. But I was feeling so untethered and bothered and honestly like really out of it being in all of these meetings learning how to adapt to the new ways of working and retiring the old ways that are uh, that my systems worked and our staff worked and I'm not someone who is inherently great at change so it was a lot to figure out and Jeff and I would sit in these one-on-one -on -one meetings over and over and I would cry and he'd be like, why are you crying? And I'd be like, everything just feels crazy all the time around me and I don't know how to keep up. And then Jeff and I came to this realization that there are two things that I really needed to do. One, I need clarity. I need clarity of expectations. I especially need clarity of expectations when there's someone in authority over me. So I needed Jeff to really clearly communicate to me, here's what I expect of you, here's what this needs to look like. And I'm like, okay, great, sounds amazing. Then the second thing that I really needed to do is I needed to believe people when they gave me those expectations. I needed to stop assuming or believing that there was some secret hidden expectation that they were waiting for me to uncover so they could say I was the best employee or the best friend or the best sister or the best daughter or whatever. It's taken a long time for me to learn to accept people's words at face value. That what you're saying to me is what you actually expect of me and I can do that and it'll be fine and it'll be good. There's a podcast that I love called That Sounds Fun with Annie F. Downs. And she says all the time on the show that clarity is kindness. Clarity around expectations, what you're hoping for, what you're assuming means that everyone else can get on board, that we don't have to be rude in our expectations. We can have clarity and kindness all at the same time. And I think oftentimes, like this is just a quick note for like adults. I think we feel weird saying like, here's what I expect or here's what I'm hoping for because it makes things feel like less fun. I think we think it will be, but that's actually not it at all. That when we can be clear about those things helps everyone be on the same page. And so today we are continuing in our series, Fight For It. We're talking about hurts and boundaries and healing in our relationships from parent to child and child to parent. 
this series has really challenged all of us. We are hearing this all across the board from everyone here at Rainier View. And even as a teaching team, we are having to wrestle through how all these things have played out in our life or are actively playing out in our lives. And I am just like so, so glad that this is the topic that we are talking about in this season. These relationships are so complicated, but they are also so important. I know that in our time together today, I will not do justice to all of the unique dynamics and nuances that exist in your relationships. But I am so hopeful that at the end of this, we all will have some real clarity around what a next step could be as we navigate some sometimes tumultuous relationships. Through this series, we have looked at the relationship between David, the father, the king of Israel, and his son, Absalom. And that relationship is super complicated, and it makes me actually feel a lot better about any complicated relationships I've ever found myself in. But ultimately, where we are in this story is Absalom has taken terrible advice, and there ends up being a huge rift in their relationship. Now, I mean, none of us would know about broken relationships at all, right? I mean, everything is just like perfect and so chill. I'm, I'm just kidding. You're just, we're, okay, we're on the same page. Great. So let's continue looking at this relationship. If you want more of the backstory, if you want to be able to dig into some of the more details, I encourage you to go and listen to our two sermons prior to this. You can find that um, on the website, rainierview.org, or you can look for the RVCC podcast anywhere that you like to listen to your podcasts, um, and that will give you a greater deep dive. You can like pause this, go listen to that, and then come back. Uh, but we're going to be in 2 Samuel together today, specifically chapters 15 and 16. There is a great app called YouVersion that you can download, and then you have the Bible free on whatever device you, use, you prefer to use, your phone, your tablet, but it's always there and available to you. And you can develop reading plans, and it'll read the Bible aloud to you. It has some really, really great features. But at this point in time, and, you know, here's kind of what you need to know to get the context of where we are. Absalom, David's son, has staged a coup. And he has been attempting to kick his dad off of the throne. And so this is where we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. So David, in this moment, is being told, hey, look, you don't even have the support of the people anymore. What a devastating moment that he loves his son, but his son is causing him harm and pain. Um, he loves this kingdom that he's been able to serve, and that is causing him harm and pain. If, it, if I were in those shoes, I would have been absolutely devastated. And David, while flawed, let me be very clear, David is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He is still a good leader. And this is what he says in verse 14. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. David has the clarity in this moment to still lead well. He tells the people who remain faithful to him that it is time to leave and it is time to lead, leave fast. That's a really good strategic move. Uh, Rusty Carlson, our lead pastor, lead executive pastor here, he's like, oh yeah, real, that's real clarity around expectation, leave or die. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is a lot of clarity there. But let's keep reading together. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 5. The king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. 
But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went. This is a form of mourning. They are devastated. Now David had been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head, again like mourning, grieving. David said to him, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I will be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priests Zadok and Abiathar be there with you? Tell them anything you hear in the king's palace. Their two sons, Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, and Jonathan, son of Abiathar, are there with them. Send them to me with anything you hear. So Hushai, David's confidant, arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. First of all, Old Testament names are so complicated, everyone. Oh my gosh. Okay, uh, so this moment is really interesting because it looks like David might be getting kind of close to making some good decisions in his relationship with Absalom, but then he messes it up right at the very, very end. So the first thing that David does that looks, we're like, great, he is on track. And then what is the principle for us? It looks like David is like actually praying for his son. But what he's actually praying is like, I hope my son fails miserably. Don't pray that when you are in complicated relationships with people. But you should pray for them. Uh, when I was in college, I had a roommate and we, we did not get along very well. I felt like she was very unkind to me. I have not heard her side of the story, but I'm assuming that she probably felt the same way about me, that I was not very kind. And... Um, I just remember getting so frustrated and angry. And, and my, first, my first reflex, my first inclination was to be terrible back to her. And then the Lord was like, pump the brakes. And I was like, I'll try. <laughs> and I just felt God inviting me to pray for her. And so first I'm like, and God, I pray for her. And that was just kind of it. That was just where I left it. And slowly but surely my prayers shifted. And by the end of our time of living together, my prayer was, God, help me to see her the way that you see her. Help me to see her as your child, someone who is created in your image, someone who you love. Now, praying this prayer did not solve all of our problems. My, my perspective changing did not solve all of our problems. We still do not talk to this day. But what it did is it softened my heart. It changed my perspective. I knew that us being, continuing to be roommates would not be a wise decision for the next year. But I also didn't have the same rage towards her. I did not have the same lack of forgiveness towards her. Prayer is powerful. Prayer transforms things in ways that only God can get the credit for. Because again, you remember my first response was like, let's make her life miserable. I didn't do it. But like God did something. He changed things. There's another moment here where, again, it seems like David is going to do the right thing. And we're like, yes, but then he doesn't. So we'll talk about it, we'll address it, and then we'll figure out what does that actually look like for us. It looks like David is going to send his friend to be helpful for Absalom. 
He's going to send his friend to be helpful for his son. And we're like, yeah, that's great. And then, no, actually, he, like, sends his friend be like, be my spy. Make his life more difficult. Again, don't do that in your complicated relationships. But here's the principle for us. Here's the thing that David was kind of on track to getting right. Our relationships cannot exist in a vacuum, especially parent-child-child-parent relationships. We need to have people around us to help us navigate those hard moments, to speak into things. This is why we encourage all adults to be in a community group. Whether you are currently in the trenches of raising kids or you have adult children or you are an adult with adult parents, right? Like having people around you to bounce ideas off, to get perspective, other people to pray for you, to pray when you don't feel like you can pray, get in a community group. But if you are currently actively like raising children that are younger, can I encourage you, make, make being part of RBCC kids and RBCC students a key part of what your family does. Because again, these relationships can exist, cannot exist in vacuums. These relationships cannot exist in vacuums. So I know that the, the adults that are recruited to serve in student ministry and in kids ministry here, they are passionate about your kids getting to know Jesus, but they are also passionate about helping them navigate this life well. I was in a discipleship group when I was in high school, and my leader was crucial to me being able to still maintain a really good relationship with my parents because the having another adult to say, okay, but here's what you don't understand because you don't pay taxes. Like, here's what you don't understand because you're not managing the budget or trying to see the future. You're only seeing right now. Have community and relationships around you. So that way, when things get a little bit tricky, you have some people to walk alongside you as you navigate it, as you figure it out. Okay, we are done in chapter 15. We are going to scoot on ahead to chapter 16 specifically. And here's where it's going to get tricky, okay? We're in 2 Samuel. Chapter 16 but verse 15, I, I get it. We were just in chapter, but we're chapter 16, verse 15. This is what it says. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel was with them. Then Hashai, the archite, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said, long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hashai, so this is the love you show your friend? If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? Hashai said to Absalom, no, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people, by all the men of Israel, his I will be and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son? Just as I served your father, so I will serve you. So Hashai shows up. He's being like kind of deceitful, like, hey, I'm here to be on your team. He doesn't know, like, you know, Absalom doesn't know he's about to be spied on. It's a whole thing. But Absalom is also pretty terrible. Like when, like when he shows up, he's like, you're a terrible friend. What are you doing here? It, it's just really interesting to watch these dynamics play out. Verse 20 says, Absalom said to Ahithophel, give us your advice. What should we do? So Absalom is talking to his friend. Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines, who he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father and the hands of everyone with you will become more, will be more resolute. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the advice of Ahithophel 
The advice Hithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. This goes into the top 10 worst pieces of advice I've ever heard. I, what? But this is the thing. And we talked about this a little bit in our last series of 2023, the royals. One of the things we talked about is that good leadership is not about gaining power for yourself. It is about serving others. And in this moment, Ahithophel is like, Absalom, go get the power. Like, this is your time to shine. And he does it. Like, this is not a good leader moment. But this is where we stop our story of Absalom and David. Come back next week. We are going to keep walking through this. But this isn't where we end our time together today. Because there is a key question for all of us to ask. This is a key question as we are navigating our relationship with our parents. This is a key question as we navigate our relationship with our kids. This is a key question to ask in light of clarity is kindness, in light of prayer, in light of not having relationships exist in vacuums, in light of knowing that leadership is about serving and not about gaining power for yourself. What part can I play in pursuing peace in my relationships? That is the question. That is the thing that we are left to ponder as we walk away from this today, as we walk away from this story. Complicated relationships are not new to 2024. I don't know if you've noticed that. In the book of Romans, this is a New Testament book that Paul writes to the church in Rome. This is what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I want to be very clear here. Paul is not encouraging us to step into inherently unsafe situations or relationships. Paul is not recommending that we fundamentally change who we are so we can be in relationship with our kids or our parents. But Paul is encouraging us to reflect on our lives and our attitudes and our behaviors when it comes to these relationships. For my personal relationships, right, like I don't have kids, but I am navigating as an adult how to like be in relationship well with my parents. And what I have discovered is that the times where I am in some of the, the toughest seasons of relationship with my parents is when I have a chip on my shoulder, is when I feel like there's something that I have to prove, is when I am more passionate about being right than being in relationship with them. David absolutely made the right call by removing himself from his kingdom. He was in a literal unsafe situation caused by his son, Absalom. David was defeated. David knew that everyone would look at him and think that he was weak, but he knew that if he left, he would have a chance to live. And he knew that if he had a chance to live, there was a chance and a possibility for healing and restoration in the future. The right move isn't always the one that is going to look the best. The right move is not always going to be the move that is the easiest. The right move is not always gonna be the move that makes sense to everyone else. It is so easy to applaud people who like make a big stand and just say like, it's too much drama, I'm over it. 
But I think that actually being in relationship with others, like good, healthy relationships, means that sometimes there is some drama to it. More often than not, the actual right thing might be to cause a little bit more drama. I know, you're shocked, but stay with me here because we're, we're going to go somewhere intentional. We are on the road to peace here. There are peacemakers in the world, and there are peacekeepers in the world. Peacekeepers do not want to rock the boat, and so they will tolerate bad behavior that makes everyone else feel uncomfortable. Everyone has just kind of passively accepted that this dysfunction in the room, in the family, in the relationship is just, it will just always be there. But it means that that dysfunction just keeps going and everyone else is talking about it behind other people's back and that's actually not good. That's actually really bad. It just makes things worse. Peacemakers, on the other hand, address conflict and they address bad behavior. And in the moment, it feels like drama. It feels so uncomfortable. It is nerve-wracking. It is nauseating. Tension rises, and, and suddenly the thing that everyone knows but they don't speak about publicly is brought to the light. But on the other side of that is the possibility and the opportunity for peace that you won't actually know if you remain a peacekeeper and you don't become a peacemaker. These things, healing can only happen if you're brave enough to disturb false peace. And setting boundaries in relationships does that. It's not just going to a person and say, don't do these things. That's not setting a boundary. It is going to someone and saying, hey, the way that you have been behaving has been really hurtful to me. It's been really hard to navigate. If this keeps happening, I'm going to have to remove myself from this situation. That gives clarity. And boundaries, boundaries can give people really clear routes and answers to love us well. Maybe people in your life don't know how truly troublesome those jokes that they make are. But if you go to them and say, this is really, I, I love you, I care about you, I want to stay in relationship with you, but what's happening here is so hurtful. Can we please stop? It protects and it gives people clear opportunities to love us. When we are in relationship with other people, some of the best things that we can do is draw boundaries, have clear conversations, and also be open to changing some of those boundaries when we see that people have earned our trust back, when we see that healing and growth is happening. Boundaries keep us safe and give people around us clarity around how we wanna be treated and what it means, like to, what it means to be in a relationship well. So what does this look like for you and your relationships? Do you have to be brave and set a boundary? Have your parents or children hurt you or are engaging in hurtful or unsafe behavior for others? It might be time to actually talk to them about it instead of pretending like you're not noticing. Or maybe someone has set a boundary with you Maybe the last go-round of election season, you said some really hurtful things. Maybe the last time you were together as a family, you lost your temper and you blew up at everyone. Have you been engaging in behaviors or addictions that are driving a wedge in your relationships? It might be time to go and apologize 
to change your behavior, to get some help, to make it so there's even a possibility of a change in boundary down the road. Romans 12 in its entirety is a chapter that has the ability to change, challenge, and shape us all. But here is what it truly comes down to. How can you live at peace with others? And Paul truly offers us a great roadmap to peace and boundaries in our relationships. I'm going to read a good chunk of Romans chapter 12 right now. And I would encourage you in this moment, set down whatever is in your hands, your phone, your laptop, your Bible, what you're using to take notes. Just set it off to the side, close your eyes, and turn your hands up like this to receive these words. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we are made in the image of God, then we get to honor the image of God in everyone else and also in you. God's love for us is always available and it isn't dependent on our goodness. Rather, it is on the goodness of God that exists, that we get to have these opportunities. And that means that there is goodness in you. God is love. And love is both a noun and a verb. True love requires action. So what is your first move towards peace? Take it, take that move, that step today. And don't approach it in the same way that I have been guilty of in the past, which is like, like this is super aggressive and I'm just gonna go all in and over the top. Send a text, make a phone call, write a letter. Don't hope that the first move is going to solve everything, but trust that this first move is on a step, on a journey, on a road towards health, and peace and healing, and that is a road that actually stretches forever. Family relationships, they're so tricky and they're so complicated. 
We allow them to treat us horribly, but we love them more than anyone else. The brokenness in the relationship between you and your loved ones is not beyond being redeemed. And boundaries could be just the thing to help your relationships get healthy. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with